If you want the rivers, you come to Jesus Christ for them. And he gives generously of his Holy Spirit that we might be filled and that his life-giving spirit would not only fill us, but flow through us into the lives of others. That's what you need when the world is raging around you. That's what you need when the ground is shaking under you and everything feels like you would otherwise be undone. Christmas, we, like many other churches uh, around the world, reflect on that great prophecy that a virgin would give birth to a child who would be named Emmanuel. And when that prophecy is introduced in the New Testament, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we're told that Emmanuel means God with us as a way of signifying it's what the name means that is what's most important. But what does God with us actually signify? We have been walking through a series of passages in the Old Testament that give uh, the background and the color uh, that would help to understand how people would have initially heard that, how God intended that, and the many dimensions of uh, what it means to call and to celebrate Jesus as Emmanuel. Uh, this, morning, this morning's passage teaches that Emmanuel uh, means we're secure in the battle. Now, I wonder how many of you who would look back at this point, uh, many people uh, around this time of the year are beginning to look back on their year and make some assessments. Was it a good one? Was it a bad one? Was it a, a terrible one? Was it an amazing one? Well, there was, uh, I read this week of a pastor who had what by all accounts could be described as a very terrible year. Uh, in April, a dizzy spell forced him to stop preaching right in the middle of his sermon. Uh, in July, friends came for dinner, and he felt this intense buzzing in his ear that uh, didn't stop. And uh, he lay down, and as he did, he began to shiver with cold. He felt like he was going to die. With, a doc with doctor's help, he regained his strength, but episodes of this came again and again and again. After one of these, he wrote, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble. If that wasn't enough, in August, the bubonic plague arrived in his town and he faced what would only be described as uh, the, the, the trial of his life. Uh, many in the town obviously fled. They were trying to uh, escape the, the oncoming onslaught of this plague, he felt it was his duty to remain to care for the sick. Although his wife was pregnant at the time, turned his home into a hospital, and he watched many friends die. Uh, following that, his son uh, also became ill. And it was during this year that historians believe he wrote what would become uh, his most famous hymn, a hymn based on our passage today, Psalm 46. It was, um, in, in the English translation, it's known as A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The author is Martin Luther. 
One line reads, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. How could a psalm bring that kind of confidence in the face of such terrible circumstances? How could God bring that kind of fearlessness and and resolute uh, perseverance when, by all accounts, he should have been packing up his bags, running away, giving up, throwing in the towel? Those are the questions I'm asking. Those are the questions that I think we all want to come to terms with. And we have in this psalm a a roadmap for people in times where they feel battered, where they are feeling the struggles. And the solution is in Emmanuel, in a a facet of Emmanuel that I think is so critical for us to understand and apply in our lives. And so far in this series, we've seen Emmanuel as uh, precious, the, the, how precious his presence is. Uh, we've seen uh, the impact of Emmanuel, how uh, Emmanuel, God's presence in us, allows God's grace to flow through us. And today we're looking at the security, uh, the confidence, uh, the, the strength that God provides through Emmanuel uh, in hard times. And so if you would turn with me to Psalm 46. I'll read verses 1 to 11 in the Black Church Bibles under the bracket of the seat in front of you. It's on page 441. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 11. Psalm 46, starting at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. This is the word of God. Now this is a a psalm. It is also a song. It is also a poem. Uh, It is written poetically for us. And uh, very helpfully for me, maybe for you, it is broken up. It's very clear what is going on in terms of the structure here because you see that word Salah three times in verse uh, 3, 7, and 11, showing us that there are three very neat sections to this particular song. Uh, Salah is just a Hebrew musical term. It, it, it is a pause. It, it helps you to understand 
uh, how a particular uh, psalm is structured. Now, the message of the first section is that Emmanuel gives you the refuge and the strength to be fearless. God not only provides for you a place of safety when you are feeling under attack, he gives you power to deal with those attacks. Uh, he gives you uh, uh, his, his power to face life's challenges. So Emmanuel gives you the refuge and the strength to be fearless. Now, verse 2 describes the earth giving way, the mountains falling into the sea. An earthquake which uh, has, has hit that part of the world and has given way to a landslide that's changing the geography of the land. Things that you had looked at, people, if, you, if you've ever lived near a mountain, you know, when you go out, you can't help but look at the changing features of that mountain, depending on the, uh, the, the, the climate, the temperature, what's happening seasonally. Your eyes are drawn there, and here, that is all being upended, uh, that, that the, uh, the mountains are falling into the sea, and there is complete chaos. In verse 3, the waters of the sea are roaring. It's a word that can be used to describe the howling of dogs. It's a word that howling, roaring is used to describe a crowd that is just shouting and, and loud noise. And so he, even the waters here of the sea are described, they, they're, they're angry, they are they're fomenting. Uh, it is a terrifying scene. Yet the psalmist declares in verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear. How can you not be afraid when your world is being turned upside down? How can you not feel scared, feel anxious when things that you thought were true, things that you had come to rely on, are now being upended when there is such upheaval all around you? Well, we like to say that when you see a therefore in Scripture, you ask yourself, What's it there for, right? Thank you. We'll, 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 we'll try for a little, little more confidence next time. But therefore, what's it there for? Here, it's pointing us back to verse 1 and giving us the, the reason for uh, that kind of confidence in the face of difficulty. And as we look to verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Some of you have probably experienced refuge in a time of trouble. Maybe you were caught out in a field when it started to rain, and maybe there was someone there with an umbrella. Maybe you came to a shelter, uh, and a covered area, and that was to you a refuge. Uh, maybe some of you at work, when you have a, a day when things get really hectic and, and there are a lot of demands and a lot of stresses, a lot of uh, people chasing you down, Maybe there's a place that you can go where it just feels a little quieter, a little, a little bit of a, uh, of a help to you, uh, a refuge for you. Uh, if you're a, a parent of very young children, I, I think I know where your refuge is. It, it's your washroom, right? You, you go in, you lock the door, and it's like that little two-minute oasis where nothing can disturb you and you can feel the quietness, the rest of that. Well, this verse is showing us that God is our refuge when the, the earth is shaking and the seas are raging around us. 
He's not promising to take away all of the earthquakes of life, but he is promising to give us a place of a refuge when they come. But he's not just a refuge. If you look at verse 1, it says he's our strength as well. And we need that because when difficulties are going to be a part of life, we don't just need somewhere to run to escape them. Over time, we, we want to get stronger to be able to deal with them. And, and this is saying that God provides that strength for us to be able to, to meet the challenges. Uh, he, he strengthens us. He, as we lean on him in the midst of difficulties, he builds spiritual muscles, muscles of, of trust, muscles of confidence, mus- muscles of patience and perseverance. He, he brings change in our lives. And all of this comes because of his nearness. All of this is ours because of Emmanuel. That's what it means when it calls him a very present help in trouble. Now, you know what it means when it describes God as very present, right? Uh, When you come home from a particularly stressful day, uh, you are feeling the demands and pressures, and maybe there's some unfinished business. When you come home, you may be... You may be present with your family, but you're probably not very present. Or or if you have a teenager at the dinner table with a fork in one hand and a cell phone in the other, they are technically present at the table, but they're not very present. This verse is saying God is very present with us in the midst of our difficulties. When we call on him, We have his full attention. That's what Lamentations 357 is expressing when it says, you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. And many of you know that was written in the midst of the destruction of uh, the the temple in Jerusalem. Everything had had been destroyed in the city. And in the midst of that, Jeremiah calls out to God and experiences his nearness in that moment, experiences God's faithfulness to come and to be present with him. One of the times I felt that was one of the times I, I think it was probably the first time I'd ever heard this particular psalm. I was uh, living in Japan at the time. I had I'd just been a Christian for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half at that point, and I was living on my own in a fairly rural, uh, small town. And I remember we had uh, these uh, cupboards that I pushed back and my, I was leaning into them, uh, trying to find something in, in the cupboard. As I was doing that, I felt a loud noise and then things began to shake. I felt the ground underneath me moving in a way that I had never experienced before in my life. Uh, It was an earthquake, and up until that time, this thing called the ground was something that I knew as immovable, stationary, secure, doesn't go anywhere, and in this moment, it was like jello. It, It was shaking under my feet, and I didn't know what came next. 
That was Saturday night, and the next morning I arrived at church, and before the main service, they would have a time of Bible reading and prayer, and uh, the other Japanese Christians were just as stunned as I was. Although uh, Japan has lots and lots of earthquakes, that isn't new for uh, the country. In this particular region where I was, they hadn't had an earthquake in over two decades. And so people were stunned and shocked at, at uh, it, is this just the, uh, the introduction to what may be a much greater earthquake coming? Is this uh, the beginning of many? We didn't know what that, might, uh, uh, what that might involve. But before the service, we gathered, we opened God's word, somebody read Psalm 46, we walked through its truths together, we prayed in response, and Emmanuel ministered to us in reflecting on who God is and calling upon his strength, his nearness in our lives, we found help. We found confidence. We found peace in his presence. I wonder where you need the refuge that Emmanuel offers in this psalm. I wonder where you need to be strengthened, where you need power to face some of the challenges that you are facing in your life. Do you spend the kind of time with him where you can hear him say, as Jeremiah did, do not fear, to, to feel the impact of his nearness in, his, in your life because you have chosen to draw near and to uh, listen to him when he speaks. So Emmanuel gives you the refuge and the strength to be fearless. He also gives you the joy and the help to be immovable. He's the one who sustains you when you are tempted, when I am tempted to throw in the towel, uh, raise the white flag. He can lift you when you'd otherwise be torn down. Emmanuel gives you the joy and the help to be immovable. Now the second section begins in verse 4 with what feels like a mistake at first. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, referring to Jerusalem. Now, this was an era where you had siege warfare. Um, they didn't have heat-seeking missiles or drones or big bombs. What they would do when they went to, went to war is their armies would often surround a, uh, a walled city, and they would seek to bring it down. Now, if, you had, uh, uh, if your army could surround a city and cut off its water supply, that would be a quick and easy victory. So having an internal river within the city, that would be very powerful to you. That would certainly make the people glad. It's easy to, house, to see how that kind of uh, river could have functioned, how it could have been so vital to a, a people's strength and confidence. The problem is that there isn't such a river in Jerusalem. There, there isn't a river that makes people glad, but maybe there is. So in verse 5, you might think there's a change in subject. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And as you slow down, as you reflect on the message, as you hear what it is saying here about God's presence with his people, 
and this curious statement about a river going through the city when you know that there isn't actually a river in the city, you realize God himself is that river. He is the one who supplies the, the refreshment, who meets people in their thirst and their need. He is the one who makes the people glad by his presence among them. And it's a fascinating insight into how God works in our lives. Because I think we want God to just take away the enemies at the gate. And he promises instead to fill us like that river uh, to sustain us in the midst of them. We want him to change our circumstances so that we can be happy. He promises instead to fill us with his living water that we might enjoy his gladness, that his joy might be ours. We want God to stop the shaking. But instead, the promise of this psalm is that in the midst of that shaking, he would make us immovable. He would secure us and strengthen us. By the way, the language of not being moved, that's military language, right? That's hold the line kind of language. The enemy is threatening and when that happens, you and I are tempted to turn around and take off in the other direction. Being, being secured and being able to be, uh, not move is to, to be able to, to hold on when you're tempted to give up. Now, we want that. Uh, we, we want those things. Here, it is promised to us that they are ours because God is with us, because of Emmanuel, because of his presence in our lives. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that because if we understand how God functions as a, uh, a river running through the city, providing uh, refreshment, meeting the needs, and sustaining us in the midst of difficulty, it helps us to understand God's working because Often, if he doesn't just take away the, the earthquake, if he doesn't just calm the waters right away, we can think that he's not doing his job. We can be tempted to think he just doesn't care. That somehow, either we got it wrong or he's asleep on the job. And what we realize is that often uh, this is uh, a, a mis- uh, a disconnect between what he has promised and uh, what we are expecting. He's promised to sustain us. He's a river that brings gladness. He's promised to be Emmanuel, to be with us. Now, I think the reality of most of our lives is expressed in the tension between verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 starts by saying, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. But the next verse says, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. The, the word for raging here that the nations are doing is the exact same word for roaring in verse 3 when it describes uh, what the waters are doing. Most people, I don't know about you, prefer a little more peace and quiet than that. They, they want a little more rest, a little more peace. But the promise is God with us is our refuge. It's in his presence that we escape the raging of the circumstances around us. He's a river who sustains us, 
ministers joy to us in the battle. And the promise is that help will come. Verse 5 ends with the hope, God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 6 ends with the declaration, he utters his voice, the earth melts. That, by the way, is where Martin Luther gets his line about one little word shall fell him. And you can almost feel how this psalm ministered to Luther in the midst of all that was going on, right? Powerful religious forces were threatening to stomp out the gospel, to put an end to this uh, work of, uh, of revival in the church. Uh, evil political forces were, were plotting to kill him. And the bubonic plague was literally at his doorstep. Uh, the, these uh, health challenges, the, the extreme crisis of that moment. But Luther knew that help would come with the morning dawn. He, he knew that whether it was in this life or the next, God was going to intervene to make all things right. He knew that God's word and God's voice were the things that ultimately mattered. That God only needed to speak and all would change. And so knowing that he recognized he, he would entrust himself to God's good purposes however long they lasted. And in God's presence, as he reflected on these words, something about them and the confidence that he found in them made him want to sing, made him want to write a song to encourage others to sing in the midst of their circumstances, in the midst of their trials and challenges. Despite all that he faced, Emmanuel was like the river that made him glad. And he wanted to point others to that river and help us to see him. When we call Jesus Emmanuel at Christmas, he is not just a baby that came into this world, although he is that. He is the personification of all that this psalm points to. He is the intensification of all its truths and promises. In fact, in John 7, 38 and 39, Jesus himself stood in the midst of Jerusalem and proclaimed these words. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. He's saying, if you want the rivers, you come to Jesus Christ for them. And he gives generously of his Holy Spirit that we might be filled and that his life-giving spirit would not only fill us but flow through us into the lives of others. That's what you need when the world is raging around you. That's what you need when the ground is shaking under you and everything feels like you would otherwise be undone. So we've said Emmanuel gives you the refuge and the strength to be fearless. He gives you the, the joy, the help to be immovable. But maybe there's some of you who are struggling to understand how this works. It sounds good, but how do I actually do that? What do I actually, uh, what are the steps? What, what, what can I do to, to lay hold of this thing that you're describing here? 
And that's where the psalm turns next. And it's the final lesson. You receive Emmanuel's power by beholding him, by being still. When you get to verse 8, you hit the first of only two verses that actually tell us to do things. Everything up until that point has been telling us things about who God is and what he does. Verse 8 is the first verse that's telling us how we are to respond. Follow along with me as I read what it says. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. What do you want to do when the earth beneath you moves? What do you want to do when you see mountains falling into the sea, when you see the, 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 the seas churning, raging, roaring about you? I think our minds want to obsess on those things. We want to think about the earthquake. We want to think about that army at, that is surrounding the walls of the city. But God calls us to behold him instead. Specifically, we're, think, we're to think deeply about what God has done. And, and he's saying, in, in the moment of your difficulty, with the trials raging around you, you want to obsess on those trials. I want you to instead obsess on me. To instead look back on what I've accomplished. Look back on who I am and how I have revealed myself to you. We, we are to rehearse in our mind what, what God has accomplished. He's the God who spoke the universe into existence. He's the God who, who speaks a word and brings a flood in, over this earth, who rescues his people from that flood. He, he's the God who brings plagues upon Egypt and delivers his people. He's the God who says the word and the walls of Jericho fall. He's a God of power, God of might, a God who acts on behalf of his people. And it is as we behold him, as we reflect on him, as we look to him, that we, are, uh, we, we find strength in his presence. And so we're invited to do that. To make that a regular practice in our life. Not only when the earthquake hits and you're completely undone, but you practice that in the regular rhythms of your life. Uh, you know, if you get our, our, our weekly emails, every Wednesday you get a prayer guide that tells you how to do this. It, it just guides you in a reflection on God's works and, and biblical prayers that point our hearts to heaven. And we're invited to behold him. Verse 10 gives us the other uh, commands of this psalm. If you look at, look at them with me, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, I find verse 10, uh, it brings a smile to my face because be still and know that I am God is the kind of verse that you sometimes see cross-stitched in people's homes with a little, uh, a little nice uh, frame on it. You can put it on a coffee mug. It feels, it feels, uh, 
like the kind of verse that you should kind of say quietly and maybe whisper in a kind of a zen-like, gentle, uh, warm kind of way. But if you actually look at where this verse is falling, uh, it, it, it's not that. It, the previous verse speaks of God shattering spears and burning chariots and breaking bows. It, it is in the midst of uh, God stepping into warring battles and, and armies back and forth. And he steps into the, the, the war of, of, of this world and says, cut it out. Stop it. I, 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 I'm, I'm bringing an end to this. I have a friend, and I think she knows who she is, but when she wants to make a point persuasively, uh, she has a very effective uh, uh, way of doing that. When she makes her point, she will slam her, her, her hand down on the, on the table, and, and it just it, it adds a sense of exclamation mark to, to what otherwise would have just been a, um, you know, a calm statement of, of fact and maybe a little ob- objectivity. That's what you need to do when you read verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. We are, we are to feel the impact of, of, of God calling us to attention. Cut it out. Stop all of the getting distracted back and forth by things that ultimately don't matter. Put your eyes on me. In stillness before me. Behold who I am. Rehearse what I've done. Look to me for your help. Recognize, as Luther did, one little word will bring this to an end. And as you do that, you realize your life isn't in the hands of your circumstances. It isn't in the hands of the the earthquake or the storm or the seas or the attacking army. Your life is in God's hands. And so it's only him that ultimately matters. So we look to him. We call upon him. Notice also where he goes with that. When he tells us to cut it out, stop it. He tells us not to exalt our problems, not to be lifting those up. Don't exalt your circumstances. He says, I will be exalted. Exalt me. Lift me up in your mind. Lift me up in your focus. Focus on what I've done. Focus on who I am. Focus on my presence with you. As the old Christmas carol goes, as as Rachel led us with our opening carol this morning, come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know how often we exalt our problems. You are the one who deserves to be exalted. We we focus on the circumstances in our lives. We behold them, and you are the one that we are to behold. You are the one who is to be our focus, even our obsession. 
So help us to draw near. We stand in amazement that you are the God who is Emmanuel. You have revealed yourself as one who is near. As we look to you, as we turn to you, as we call upon you, you are near to us in the battle. You are the God who sends the streams of living water. By your very spirit, we feel your power within us, refreshing us, filling us, and flowing through us to minister to others. Thank you, Father, for your presence in our lives. I pray, Father, for for any here whose, whose circumstances are raging like those seas. Oh, I pray, Father, that you would draw them near, bring them to, to Jesus for uh, the, the life-giving water that he alone offers. I pray, Father, that you would give all of us a heart to behold you, I pray that we would be gripped by Emmanuel this Christmas. I pray that you would teach us to to reflect on you, to remember all that you've done, to practice that stillness in your presence, that we might be strengthened, that we might develop those muscles of trust and confidence and perseverance. And Father, help us to hold on, uh, to wait for the morning dawn, uh, to trust you in all things. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.